right, good morning, church. How y'all doing? Good. Ready to jump into the word? All right. I've been in the kitchen all week cooking up, and now I get to share it with you, which is kind of a pleasure, and it gives Pastor Dan the week off. Did you have any good food in New York? Absolutely. All right. Our focus today is upon light, okay? Not in contrast to heaviness, not that kind of light, but in contrast to darkness. And where better to anchor a message upon light than in Genesis 1 and in John chapter 1. Mary, it was your husband that first showed me the connection between Genesis 1 and John chapter 1. It's a beautiful connection. I think pastors spoke on that numerous times over the years. Let's look into these two passages just to kind of help us set the stage. And I know sometimes we read together, but I want to read it to you. And so if it's helpful, read along and then listen with your ears. If it's helpful, close your eyes and listen. But whatever it is, I'm going to read through these once. And this sets the stage. And so I need you guys to kind of get in in the mood. All right, so here we go. Genesis 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Now let's look at John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen? Has not overcome it. Amen? All right. The reading of the word. All right. As a pastor, I am always thinking about the next message. Sometimes I see very interesting things, amazing things, and sometimes I see very ordinary things, and I think, ooh, 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 that connects to a truth. That, ooh, there's something in there. I'm, I'm gonna preach on that, that's, that's good. So I take the note, and I put it in my phone usually, and then weeks or months, sometimes even years later, I go back to those notes, and honestly, typically, I look at the note and I say, what in the world? inspired me to write that note like nobody cares about that nobody even wants to hear about that nothing there's nothing interesting there and then you just move on but then occasionally really is occasionally you go back to the note and it still resonates with you and you're like "Ooh, I think I'm going to preach on that that said the inspiration for today's message came at about 2 30 in the morning a couple of weeks ago in my kitchen of all places But let me first rewind even a little bit before that, about a month ago, to really set the stage. Here's a very exciting intro for you, super exciting. The bulb in my microwave burned out, and I needed to replace it, so I went to Home Depot, and I bought four bulbs, planning to use one and return the other three. I am not a rookie. I've done this before. I got a halogen a dimmable, a two-way, and an LED. And I kid you not, I put them all in, one at a time, and they all came on. But that was all they did. They just came on. They're supposed to be like 
an on, a low, and an off, but not my four bulbs. Even though I bought the whole swath of options, it just came on, and that was it. That just stayed on. So I quickly accepted defeat, and I kept the LED bulb because it only was four watts, and so I have been burning that four-watt LED bulb 24 hours a day, seven days a week, which goes against every fatherly instinct within me because constantly I'm going by that side to turn it off because I'm always telling my kids, turn that light off. You don't need No, I just let it run because I've accepted defeat. Now back to the inspiration. That was a couple of, uh, a couple of weeks ago. About 2.30 in the morning, I got hungry, which is my custom. So I wake up, I wander into the kitchen, and I began to rummage for food. The problem is I've noticed again and again and again daily during the month of May that when I got in the kitchen, I was not alone. Because joining me each night are some of the nastiest, dirtiest, crunchiest looking crickets that have ever crawled this green earth. And while I do not doubt that they do serve some purpose, I just wish they would serve it somewhere else, not in my house. <laughs> Has anyone else had an influx of crickets? I'm just curious. Yeah, a few? Oh, golly. What about gnats? Like, we had gnats recently? I guess it's just May, yeah. Okay, uh, my sympathies to you. Okay, so the crickets. I don't know what kind y'all have, but we don't have the traditional black Texas cricket this year. We have instead been so blessed with the camel cricket. Does anyone else have the camel cricket? Please raise your hand. I need, there's comfort, thank you. There's comfort in that, just knowing there's someone else feeling my pain. All right, I think they name it the camel cricket because of its tan color, but also because I think it stores enough water in its little stupid exoskeleton to survive approximately 7.963 years or until squished. So about 2.30 in the morning, every morning recently, when I get up to get something to eat, there will be three, four of these little crickets in my kitchen floor waiting for me. And yet, after a few days, seriously, it dawned on me, they are not waiting for me. They are instead basking in the glow of my four watt. Mm-hmm. So it turns out that crickets have what is called positive phototaxis. And phototaxis represents an organism's desire to be in the light or in the dark. And oh, by the way, there are a lot of bugs with positive phototaxis. Have you sat on your back porch with the light on recently? Mosquitoes, moths, flies, beetles, and yes, camel crickets all have positive phototaxis. And by contrast, there are also many bugs that are repelled by the light. Instead of drawing closer to the light, they shrink away from it. Just stay with me, okay, we're going somewhere. In 2007, my dad and I returned to West Africa 20 years after my family had left to come back to the States. Here's a picture of us. That's me saying, I can't hear you. Aw, aw, okay. <clears throat> So here's a picture of us. If you didn't know, my parents were missionaries in Ghana and Togo for about a decade and traveling back with my dad for a trip 
back in 2007 was a special treat. Number one, I got to travel with my dad. Number two, it was nice to see Africa with adult eyes because all my previous memories were seven years old and, and younger. Uh, by the way, here's a, yeah. I don't know if that was seven, but there's somewhere in that ballpark. So anyway, on that trip to Africa, one night, about 2.30 in the morning, surprise, I got hungry. So I went into the kitchen hoping to get a slice or two of French pineapple. Oh my goodness, if you've never had French pineapple. You just got back from Africa. Did you have French pineapple? It's the sweetest pineapple. Oh, so good. I was hoping to get some French pineapple. I was hoping to maybe get some bread and some butter. I don't know what they do with their bread there, but it's just wonderful. But I uh, was met instead with a surprise. Now to be transparent, we were staying in a cinder block house. We were not in a hut, okay? it, it did have electricity, and it even had air conditioners, like wall unit air conditioners, okay? And it had um, running water, and it had a window, and it had a front door, and it had a back door, okay? This is not a grass hut. It wasn't the Holiday Inn, but neither was it the bush or the jungle, or for God's sake, it was not South Oklahoma. <clears throat> so anyway, I walked in at 2.30 in the morning into that kitchen, I flipped on that light, and for about five seconds, I saw a stream of big African cockroaches scurrying back into the dark recesses of the world in which they came, probably seven, eight, dozen cockroaches across the floor, up the cabinet, over the counter, over the stove, up the wall, onto the ceiling, into the corner, gone, gone. But were they really gone? No, no, no. Guess who didn't sleep well the rest of that trip? Okay, so unlike crickets, cockroaches have a negative phototaxis. That's why they scurried away. They don't like the light. And I think we humans are much the same. We fall somewhere on this spectrum between negative and positive phototaxis, and I think we're constantly moving within that spectrum, either repelled by or attracted to the light. And let's not kid ourselves, okay? Light can hurt, okay? But light can also help. If you're sleeping and someone abruptly turns on the light, it hurts your eyes for a few moments, but then it's quite helpful, right? Spiritually speaking, when a moral light is shined upon my life, and especially when I'm found wanting, it exposes me. And it hurts. It hurts my conscience. But it can also guide me, which is a much needed, much needed help. So we all fall somewhere on this spectrum between negative and positive phototaxis. And clearly, as Christians, we need to be and stay attracted to the light. Amen? So... Josh, are you saying that non-Christians are like cockroaches? Is that what you're saying? No. No, I'm not saying that. And if I were, I would thus be also saying that Christians are like crickets, okay? And that's not what I'm saying. I've actually noticed that Christians and non-Christians are both at times attracted to the light. Have you noticed that? But it's not the attraction to light. It's our response to light. It's our response to him. It's our response specifically to Jesus that determines everything, especially salvation. So all that bug talk, all that phototaxis talk is all by way of introduction because as I stood in my kitchen at 2.30 in the morning, 
knowing that I was going to be speaking in a couple of weeks, after catching a few more camel crickets, because I catch them, and then I give them to Amber's chickens the next morning, and they love camel crickets. It's the only positive element of this entire cricket thing. Anyway, in that moment as I stood there, I wondered this. Might it be possible to narrow down my top three light versus darkness moments? And if so, would it be helpful to Bethesda? And I quickly came up with the first two. And after a little bit of thought, I realized the third one. And, I, and yes, yes, I think it will be helpful. So today, we're talking about light. The Bible describes Jesus to us in many, many, many ways. And each one helps us get a better understanding of his nature and of his character and of his presence, our preferences and of his will, uh, of his ways. And as we saw earlier in John chapter one, light is one of those descriptions of Jesus, as is a door, as is a vine. Uh, the word is another, a shepherd is another, a father, an author, a prophet. These are all descriptions of Jesus so that we can get a hold of who he is. He's also known as the bread of life. He's an advocate. He's a bridegroom. He's a cornerstone. He's a high priest. He's a holy servant. He's a lamb. He's a gift. He's a lion. He's a Lord. He's a mediator. He's a Messiah. The list goes on. The list is long, church in hopes that we would better capture who he is. But today, the one we're gonna focus on is light. So again, top three light versus darkness moments in the Bible, and let's see if there's something we can learn from each one of them. Okay, so the first one, it has to be Genesis 1, right? It's gotta be Genesis 1, the creation story. Many, many years ago, our earth was, according to the written and trustworthy word of God, formless, Void, empty, dark. But then God spoke and it all changed. What did he say? He said, Yahior, let there be light. Vayahior, and there was light. That was the moment our planet changed. And it is important to recognize that God's response to the darkness was not to curse at it, it was not to complain about it. It was not to legislate it. It was not to compromise with it, nor accept it. No, God's response to darkness was to turn on a light. And in this case, a, uh, since the darkness was a physical nature, he allowed for physical light to penetrate the darkness. And when light shows up, darkness must flee, amen? The creation account is the first story in our Bible of light encountering darkness and oh, by the way, light wins. Light always wins, okay? If you're taking note, light always dispels darkness. Light also divides and it directs and it discloses. And I'm sure Marty could come up with many more Ds, but I'm just giving you four. It, it dispels, it divides, it directs, it discloses. We're not gonna talk about those. If you wanna study those, that's low-hanging fruit. It's an easy study, go for it, enjoy. We're gonna spend our time today instead regarding this first encounter with darkness, and I wanna quickly point out that there are two types of creating, okay? 
There's the Latin term ex nihilo, which means out of nothing, and then there's everything else, okay? When God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis 1-1, he creates it ex nihilo. You can also see that in Hebrews 11-3, where it says, by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. So again, the creation of something out of nothing is ex nihilo. Everybody say ex nihilo. Look at that, you guys are speaking Latin. All right, here's the Hebrew term. The Hebrew term for this type of creation is bara. Everybody say bara. Okay, and now do it like that with a little more just because that makes it more Hebrew. Everybody, bara. All right, that's good. All right, only God creates like that. Okay? In the Bible, ex nihilo and bara are never used to describe a human's handiwork. Only God can create from nothing. Humans, we can form stuff. We can make stuff. For example, an artist can take a lump of clay and form it into a bowl. It's, it's great. A musician can take a thought or an experience, put some words to it, add a melody, boom, they make a song. It's wonderful. You and I, we can take a bunch of ingredients and make cookies. But in all these cases, we start with something because we are incapable of creating out of nothing. The Hebrew word for form is yatzer. The Hebrew word for make is asa. Interestingly, God does all three of them. We only do the, the, the former two, but God can do all three. He can create bara, form, yatzer, and make Asa. He is not limited. If your God can't do all three, my God is better than yours. <laughs> and if your God can be improved upon, he is not God. When he created the heavens and the earth, including the light of our sun, that was definitely an out of nothing ex nihilo bara moment. But when he created humans, this is actually a very interesting mix of all three. So I'm gonna read out of Genesis 1, 26 and 27, and again in Genesis 2, 7. And watch the mixture here, okay? Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make Asa mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created bara, mankind, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Then shortly after in Genesis 2, 7, it says, then the Lord formed Yatzar, a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Church, it's my understanding and, I, and the reason I say that is because when it comes to Genesis, when it comes to creation stories, I wasn't there and neither were you, right? If there's someone really old near you, just go ahead and ask them, were you there? <laughs> and they're gonna tell you, no, I was not there, thank you very much. I wasn't there. But as I study, it's my understanding, you can come up with a different one, but it's my understanding that man's flesh, our bodies were formed out of matter that God had previously made out of dust. But our spirit, our soul is altogether a new creation, created from nothing. 
Humans are thus very special, which is why life is so special and worth fighting for. So why do I share all that? Well, number one, it's super cool. That's why I shared it. But number two, and the main reason, is that the creation story is a logical first encounter of light and darkness. And it's worth noting that when God responded to a physical darkness in our world, he did so by turning on a physical light. Okay? Now let's look at the second of my top three light versus darkness moments in the Bible. And oh, by the way, I'm not saying that there weren't other moments between my first and my second. I'm just saying these are my top three, okay? I think you can make a case for every prophet, every judge, every theophany, etc. There's others, but my second is, mm, hold on, okay. I don't wanna get ahead of myself. All right, so that said, just like when the world was physically dark, God responded with a light, uh, the second one is more of a when the world was spiritually dark, okay? And God responded again with a light, but much like the earth and the creation story, many years later, humanity also finds itself formless, void, empty, dark, and in need of a savior, amen? The year was approximately five BC. It wasn't zero, the timing's off, you can study that too. It was approximately five BC. The Roman Empire was lording over much of Europe, North Africa, and the Middle East, and things were honestly really dark. One scholar, Alfred Edersheim, in his book, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, describes the condition of the world like this. In both the Roman world and in Palestine, the time had fully come, not in the sense of any special expectancy, but of absolute need. The reign of Augustus marked not only the climax, but the crisis of Roman history. Whatever of good or of evil the ancient world contained had become fully ripe in politics, philosophy, religion, society, the utmost limits had been reached and beyond them lay only ruin or regeneration. Had the Lord not already promised a flood, he might have flooded the world again. Things were really bad and yet judgment and ruin was not God's plan. Regeneration was. Let me share a little bit more just how bad it had gotten. It has been rightly said that the idea of conscience as we understand it, was unknown to heathenism. Absolute right did not exist. Might was right. The sanctity of marriage had ceased. Female licentiousness and general unfaithfulness led at last to an almost entire cessation of marriage. Abortion and the exposure and murder of newly born children were common and tolerated Unnatural vices, which even the greatest philosophers practiced, if not advocated, attained proportions which defy description. But among these sad signs of the times, three must be specially mentioned. The treatment of slaves, the attitude towards the poor, and public amusement, the gladiatorial games, killing for sport. Utter hopelessness, now we're talking about 5 BC, okay? Utter hopelessness and despair was everywhere. 
The thinkers of the day, Seneca, Cicero, Tacitus, all desired reform, but they knew their society could not reform itself. Edersheim says, the world's philosophy and religions had nothing to offer. They had been tried and they had been found wanting. He goes on to say, the institutions of the Roman world had no answers. Religion, philosophy, and society had passed through every stage to that of despair. Humanity had hit rock bottom. Humanity was languishing in utter darkness. And it was into this moment that God sent his one and only son to redeem the world. Another man, J.R. Tolkien, who authored the Lord of the Rings trilogy, described the moral condition of his fictional Middle Earth in much the same way that Edersheim described the moral decay of our own earth before the coming of Christ. Though Tolkien summed it up in far fewer words, he simply said, darkness had crept back into the forests of the world. However you say it, it's clear that God, in his response to darkness, once again, turned on the light. But this time, not a light to illuminate hills and meadows, but a light to illuminate hearts and minds. Amen, Amen, indeed, I wrote that. I'm proud of that one sentence right there. Of the whole thing, I'm proud of that one right there. Not a light to illuminate hills and meadows, but a light to illuminate hearts and minds. We're looking at the second of my top three major light versus darkness encounters. And maybe you've heard the story. It was a dark, starry night in a little town called Bethlehem. A baby was born, and that child was God's perfect answer to the darkness. That child was and still is the light of the world. John 8, verses 12, verse 12 says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not, will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When the world needed a physical light, God responded by turning on a light, the sun, S-U-N. When the world needed a spiritual light, God responded by turning on the light, his son, S-O-N. That's number two. And now, let's look at number three. This is the one I had to think about for a little bit there at 2.30 in the morning, although by then it was probably like 2.41 because I'd had a bowl of cereal <laughs> and a granola bar and some yogurt <clears throat> and some beef jerky. <clears throat> All right, number three. But before I tell you about number three, you might think, if the coming of Jesus Christ himself is number two, why and how could there still be darkness on this earth? John three sixteen through 21 answers that question. And yes, there are verses after three sixteen. It just keeps on going, it's amazing. He answers the question of why there's still darkness, even though Jesus had come. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him 
shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, thank God, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light. Because their deeds were evil, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that they have done, what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So why is there still darkness? Because people love darkness and they don't wanna come into the light. People, we are by nature negative phototaxis. We have a negative phototaxis. We, are, we don't like the light. So what is God's third response to darkness? The sun was number one, the sun is number two, and you are number three. You are number three. You are God's light to drive away the current darkness. When the earth needed a light, he sent a sun, a sun. When humanity needed a light in 5 BC, he sent his son. But you are God's light to the current darkness. You are God's answer to the current darkness in our world. It's not your favorite politician. Though they, they serve a role, they serve a role, and I'm glad. It's not your grandma. You are the answer to the darkness in our world. Let me quickly support that with a handful of scriptures, because I think I could just talk about it, but I think if I just showed you right in the world, the word, you'll see it. First of all, John 9, 5, while healing a blind man, Jesus says, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then we see again and again and again, Jesus transferring that title to his followers. Here are some examples. Matthew 5, 14 through 16, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and, they give, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. First Thessalonians 5.5, 5, you are all children of the light. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. Ephesians 5, 8 through 9. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world, in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. John 8, 12. We read that one earlier, but we read it uh, with a focus on the first half. Now let's look at the second half. It says, when, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You have now the light of life. Here's the simple reality, okay? When Jesus came to earth, his job was to honor his father, to be a light, and to reconcile people back to God. He cast his light, he made a way, and each of us in our own generation is either attracted to that light or we 
reject it. And then Jesus left the earth and he literally left his followers, those who did not reject the light, he literally left us with his job. Okay, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Thank God for the new that Jesus Christ brings in our lives. All this, make no mistake, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. That just means we get to speak and do and act upon uh, on his uh, behalf and with his power and authority. We are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. He was the light. We are the light. God is making his appeal through us. So cool that Jesus leaves this earth and trusts us, trusts you with his job. So this morning, we've seen how God responded to physical darkness with a physical light. And we've seen how God responded to spiritual darkness with a spiritual light, his son. And lastly, we have to recognize that his response to the darkness in each generation, including our own, because that's the only one you get, his response, his answer, his solution, his plan is still to turn on a light. And he's done that in you. And he's done that in me. So if we are the light to the current darkness, another way of saying that is God's gonna have a representation in time. God will have a representative in time. There's been certain times where it was a prophet. There's been certain times when it was a judge. There's been certain times when Jesus himself walked this earth. There's been other times where God or Jesus in a Christophany or a theophany showed up. He has a representative in time. And right now, that representative is you and is me. So the pastor in me just wants to say, let's focus, let's, let's make sure that we are punching holes in the darkness in our world. You don't have to try to be light, you are light. Okay? With both actions and words, you are light. And don't forget the words. How will they know unless they hear? It's become popular, oh, just be kind, just show your Christianity. I get that. And those beautiful quotes were probably given in a time where all people did was talk. But this is not that time. This is the time where people don't talk. When it comes to sharing the gospel, you gotta share the gospel. Be kind, be generous, be helpful, and then make sure you connect the dots for them. You gotta use words. How will they know unless they hear? So personally, I don't wanna be remembered for cursing at the darkness. I don't wanna be remembered for complaining about it or merely trying to legislate it or vote it out. And I definitely don't wanna be remembered for compromising with it or accepting it. Not at all. Instead, like God, I wanna respond to the darkness with light. Pastor Dan, in closing today, I just want you to pray over this flock. These are powerful folks. These are light bearers and these are your folks, we're in your flock, obviously under Jesus Christ. But I want you to pray for them. But before we even do that, I wanna share two 
Charles Spurgeon quotes because somehow I've made it through an entire message without sharing a Charles Spurgeon quote. You're going to like these. The first one is this. The Bible is not the light of the world. It is the light of the church, but the world does not read the Bible. The world reads Christians. You are the light of the world. And the second one, if God lights the candle, none can blow it out. Amen? Bless you, church.